going to teach us some things here that um, you probably have heard all of this, but we need to reapply. Amen? It's kind of like, you know, even being out there on sunscreen, it begins to wear off, time to reapply. And we need to reapply. So I did a whole like six sermon series on just what we often call the model prayer, the disciples prayer, or some people call it the Lord's prayer. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, it hasn't been that long since I've done that, but I was convicted to go back there. I've been studying here. And uh, so I look back on my journal and my notes. It was 2005 when I did that. So I think it's time. Amen. It's time. So we're going to try to do this in two parts. So let's get busy. Amen. So would you read with me in Matthew chapter six, verse five, where Jesus is going to to teach us a little bit about how to pray. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus said, And when you, and when, not if, when. This needs to be happening, y'all. When you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now you'll probably have a footnote there or in your Bible, a benediction there for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, the oldest and best manuscripts of the Bible don't include that. And I'll explain why and, and why it's fine for it to be there or not. Uh, it comes from actually probably another passage in the Bible that's applied there. But he goes on and explains part of this prayer. The only part Jesus gives commentary on is in verse 14. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. So I'm um, probably not going to cover all of that. We're going to do the first part of this today. So here's the problem with prayer. One of the problems with prayer, I'm sure pretty much all of us believe in prayer, is we don't take it seriously enough. It's kind of like, uh, for a lot of people, prayer is kind of like the national anthem at the baseball game. You know, it kind of gets things started, but it didn't really have anything to do with what happens in the game. Right? We just kind of get things started, have a word of prayer, but is it really connected to everything that's going on? Um, so people do it, uh, but then they go on and do as they please and live any way they want to uh, and just doing their own life their own way. It's not really connected to even what they're praying about. For other people, prayer too often is kind of like the parachute on the back of a skydiver. I mean, they're glad it's there. I won't carry this with me. I'm glad I've got it. I don't really feel like I need to use it except for emergencies, right? Like if the plane starts to go down and I have to bail, I'm glad I've got it. I'll pull that ripcord, amen? Uh, so that's the way a lot of people look at it. It's for emergencies 
only when I am involved in some cataclysmic collapse of life. Boy, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Otherwise, we're just kind of doing all right. Good old God, you know, he's there. And uh, I know he's got my back, so I'm not going to worry about it. But you know what? Jesus is telling us that it's much more than that. And if you were here last Sunday night, we started this study, Just Ask, on Sunday nights. And uh, we're going to finish it up tonight. But, um, you know, the, the, the whole thing is, is, is that, um, you know, even though we, we all believe in this, you know, we talked about this quite a bit, that um, it, it's, it's that area where, where we just neglect so much. And then when we try to do it, maybe we don't even do it in the right way, and it just becomes some mechanical thing. And so, so God wants to help us. Jesus wants to help us to understand that. And so you would think this. Does it really? And this is what we talked about last Sunday night. For those of you who were there, we had a great discussion on it. Uh, does it do any good to pray? Isn't God going to just do what God's going to do? And does it really matter if I pray? And uh, we, we began to study and understand that so many, in fact, most all things that God determines he wants to do in and through us, he's determined to do it through prayer. And the fact is, if there's anybody was pointed out that maybe didn't need to pray as much as other people, it might have been the very son of God himself who came in human flesh, Jesus but what do we find in Jesus' example? We find Jesus constantly peeling away to spend time alone with the Father in prayer. He prayed so much, he set the example, and he taught us how to do it. So I'm thinking, Jesus being the Son of God, even though he was fully human and in the flesh at that time, he's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. If he needed to pray while he was here, you and I sure do need to pray. <laughs> Amen? We sure do. Um, it's your high speed Hook up to glory. Amen. Um, it is the divine connection that God has provided every one of us with so we can be linked up with him constantly. Linked up with the power of God. Linked up with heaven. So if you don't have a dynamic prayer life, this is just the way it works. Then you will have an anemic spiritual life. That's just the way it works. There's no way to have a healthy, vibrant, victorious walk with God without this. It's just the way he's designed it. So it's the degree that you use your, your connection, your hookup with God, that you're going to be victorious in your daily walk. So in our text, here's what happens. Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer. A pattern. Um, a lot of times we just don't feel like we know how to pray or what to pray. That's okay. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that, you know, even when we don't know how to say, what to say, or even the words to express that the Spirit is, is, is communicating with groanings that we're not even capable of uttering. You could try, but he says that you can't, you're not even capable of uttering that he's making groanings before the throne of God on your behalf. That's good to know, isn't it? So you just coming up with your words is not so much what it's about. It's about what's going on in your heart. Um, now, this is a lot of times called the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, people call it that. It's not so much the Lord's Prayer because this is not really a prayer that the Lord prayed. He didn't pray this prayer. He taught this prayer. And he didn't so much teach it as a prayer to just be quoted, although you can do that. He didn't so much teach it as a prayer to just be said. He taught it as a pattern or an outline or a model of how to pray. 
And that's what we have here, which, by the way, there are notes online. If you haven't looked them up on your YouVersion app, just uh, go to events, Hartville. You can find them. And some of these verses, some of these things coming up are going to be there. You can meditate on it later. Amen. So you can take something with you. So that's on our YouVersion app. All right. So as Jesus begins to give us this pattern of how to pray, he's going to give us some precautions at first. And then he's going to show us that how the prayer starts. It starts with God in its focus and not us. The first part of this prayer is about God and who he is and what his plans and purpose is. And then the next relates to us and our needs as we rely upon him and seek him. We're going to try to look at that first part today and Lord willing, the second part next week. So as he begins this, he gives us some, first of all, some precautions before he gets into the prayer, the precautions. He says, and when you pray, when, not if, but when you pray, this is how you need to approach it, okay? So he gives us one do and two don'ts. I'm going to focus on the do first, because if you're doing the do, you're not going to do the don'ts. The reason why you do the do is so you don't do the don'ts. And if you could, you wouldn't, so you don't. So you should focus on the do, but we need to know about the don'ts. Are you with me? Okay. You know, I was sedated earlier this week, and uh, I don't know. I'm having the brains coming back here. All right, so here's what he says. Do make sure that you have a personal, private, consistent prayer time. That's what he's saying. Do this. When you pray, go to your room, verse 6, and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Check to see what your prayer life is like, just you and God. You can pray out loud, or you can pray, as, as one of the grandkids said, Papa, I'm just praying in my head. Yeah, you can do that. You can pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. It doesn't have to do with, with it, 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 what it has to do with is what's going on inside anyway. Uh, there will be times that I need to pray out loud to help me focus. All right? We talked about that some last Sunday night about how a lot of times it's so easy for your mind to wander. Right? How many times at night do I fall asleep praying? I used to feel so guilty about it. But I thought, what better way to fall asleep while you're talking to the Lord? Right, man? Then you wake up in the middle of the night. It's like, hey, he's still there. Amen? And you can just pick up the conversation if you need to, if you want to, and hopefully you do. So there's, as I said, one do, two don'ts. But the measure of your prayer life is not, we find out here, what you do in public when we're all together. That's not the measure of your prayer life. And I hear people say that all the time. Well, I'm just not one gifted to pray. Yeah, you've got the gift of prayer. But what you're meaning by that is, I'm not someone who knows how to say elegant prayers in front of other people. And that's probably good. Yeah, you're in good shape if that's you. You are fine. Don't let anybody tell you, all right, any different. Um, so the measure of your prayer life is not what you do in public. According to Jesus, it's what you do in private. If you don't have a great private prayer life, then you don't have a dynamic prayer life. So what is your connection? What is your conversation with God like during your busy week when things are so crazy? Is the only time, honestly, that you ever pray is whenever we're all gathered together and someone says, let's pray. I hope not. It, it, the whole measure of it is what's happening during the busy, crazy week, before you go to work, while you're at work, while you're doing this, while you're doing that. You've got a constant connection. You, you can pray, and it's good to have, as he's going to show us, that place, that time that you specifically discipline yourself to meet with God for the purpose of prayer. 
You need that. That time where you focus and you concentrate. You may pray out loud. I'm telling you, there's been times that when that time comes for me, you ever have trouble praying, have trouble concentrating? You know what I found? There are a lot of prayers right here in this book. You know, in the book of Psalms, not only are songs that they sang, but many of them were prayer songs. They're prayers that they prayed. There's been times that I've been in such a state of mental and emotional, you know, just confusion and just static, you know, and I need to dial it in. And, and I have found that, you know what, the enemy hates hearing the word of God anyway. And I'm just going to pull one of these up and pray it out loud to him. And it doesn't take long before he begins to help me dial it in. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so prayer isn't just about needs or burdens. Part of it is just praying because we're worshiping him. Remember our theme and study on Sunday night is we're, we're, we're not just praying to God. Because we need something from him. We're praying to God because he is beautiful. And he is awesome. And he is God. Do you have that place, that time? And then the good news is, is it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing during the day. You always have that connection. You know, you've got that situation comes and somebody mentions something and it's like, ooh, that's offensive. Or, oh, this may be an opportunity to share the gospel. That you can be talking to God the whole time. Why, even when I'm listening to someone else, I want to listen to them. But at the same time, I may be talking to God to give me wisdom. You remember when Nehemiah was before the king and the moment came, the king saw something went right with him. And he was a cupbearer. And a cupbearer doesn't need to act like he's not feeling good or sick. And if he's tasting stuff and giving it to the king. And um, so, he, you know, when he asked, when the king asked him what his request was, there's that little phrase that it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And there's no evidence that anyone else in the room, the king or anyone, ever knew that Nehemiah prayed. But the word of God recorded to us that he did. So it would teach us to know that in that moment, he prayed. He turned his attention not to the king, to the answer. What am I going to say? But to God, give me what to say. And, and that's what you can do as well. But that's where it starts. It starts there in that personal time. So do make sure that you have this. Don't. Don't be like the hypocrites or the people who are like many of them were Pharisees. They were very religious people. But he says in verse five, they they love to to stand and pray outside like the, the synagogue where they would meet for worship and Bible study and prayer in those days. And on the street corner. Why? Why are they doing it? Jesus said not to have the connection with God, but so others see them. So to them, it's more about what I'm saying that you hear than what I'm communicating with God. That's what it's about. So he says, don't be like that. Watch out for people who've got these big, boisterous prayers in public. It might mean they've got a pretty anemic one in private or shallow. Uh, so your in-depth prayer life. See, my in-depth prayer life is never going to be here with you probably. It's going to be me alone with God. And, and, and one reason why maybe we have trouble praying over and with and for each other and together with each other is, is, is it's kind of hard to do it when you come together if you're not doing it as just a, 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 a manner of life privately. It's not we come here to get it, we bring it with us. Amen? I just love it. I just love when we're praying together to hear someone that's kind of a new believer just prays out loud for the first time. I just love the sincerity. Many times, and you know what? There's such power when we do pray together. But I just want to tell you, when we're just praying together and we're not trying to pray some fancy prayer to impress anybody, but we're all just sharing our hearts together with God. There's something special even about, you know, as crazy as we can act at men's prayer breakfast on Thursday mornings around the tables. We just pray 
um, for each other, and we're just ourselves. But I want to tell you, it's a privilege to pray with you guys, but God always teaches me, builds me up, encourages me, and challenges me through your prayers. He does. It's a powerful thing, and it creates a bond among us when we are praying. You think about you can't really do anything much more powerful or, or close than pray together, right? That's some close stuff there. But don't be like these hypocrites that the only time they really want to pray is when they're out there when people can see them and think, oh, man, what a, what a powerful prayer. What, how awesome you are, right? So don't be like that. So Jesus is saying the measure of your prayer life isn't what you do when everybody else is watching you. It's what happens when no one else sees you. If, if God doesn't hear from you when you're by yourself, then what you're doing in front of everybody else might just be a joke or a put on. So once again, do you have that secret place? Do you have that private time that you meet with God? Do you deal with the issues of life in his presence? And so a lot of times we just want to impress people. But God says you need to be more concerned about connecting with him than impressing other people. Because it doesn't really matter. In fact, he says these people, they do it to be seen and to be heard. They have their reward. In other words, that's all the reward they get. So don't be like that. Don't be like that. It kind of reminds me of the little boy who was going to say his prayers one night. And, you know, family was gathered. Grandma was spending the night. And little boy, you know, mom said, now let's say your prayers. And so he gets down there and he starts to pray. He says, Lord, I want to thank you now. I want to thank you, Lord, for mommy. I want to thank you for daddy. And I want to thank you for Mamma. And Lord, please. And he gets louder and louder. Please, Lord God. Please give me a new bicycle for Christmas, Lord God. His mother said, hey, why are you hollering, son? God can hear you. You don't have to do that. He said, yeah, Ma. But Mamma's in the next room and she's got the money for the bike. Right? And that's the way a lot of times we approach prayer. We're just trying to be, we, we just, we want other folks to hear us. We're trying to influence other folks. Why? Because we don't have confidence in God. We're just trying to impress people. But God says that he sees in secret when you're alone with him and not performing for anyone else. You're just being sincere and being real. So don't be like the hypocrites, but also don't be like the heathens. Now, the Greek word there is a word that just like, he says, don't be like the nations or the Gentiles. These were people who did not worship God, didn't know God. They worshiped false gods. I mean, they were religious people. They're kind of like people today, even though so many claim to be atheist or agnostic, they're still very religious because they're worshiping themselves, right? And money and, and power and just self and me doing what I want to do. Uh, but but he, he expands on his precautions in verse 7 when he says, and says, when you pray, don't be like the, the, the heathen pagan folks who don't know God. He said, don't be like them. Um, so we're not to be like the hypocrites. We're also not to be like the heathen folk who don't know God, but who worship false gods. Don't be like them by using what he calls here, what he says here are empty phrases or meaningless or vain, empty repetitions. And many of the people who worship false gods, they would do that. And they would try to do all this to try to, to, to get their God's attention. You even see it way back in the Old Testament on Mount Carmel when Elijah was there and the prophets of the false god Baal were there. And, and Paul later tells us that behind a lot of these false gods was something demons. In fact, Paul informs us of that. 
that, that many of them would attach themselves to these things. And there might be some supernatural things happening there, you know, uh, but it was demonic. But, but one of the things that they did is all... It's all so gross and weird. They would begin to, to make all this noise. And some of them even threw themselves on the altar. Maybe trying to say, offer themselves. They begin to cut themselves, do weird stuff. They did all this trying to get their God to hear them. And I love that story because Elijah's back there just joking with them. Remember that? It's like, you know, hey, a little louder. Maybe he's, maybe he's you know, busy, right? Hey, maybe he's on a trip. And, and one of them literally in the Hebrew is like, hey, maybe he's on the can. Maybe he's in the bathroom, right? And he, he's, 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 he's gone. And, and that's what Elijah says. And then finally, when he steps up, he calls on the Lord. And all the stuff that Elijah did, he lets us know in that prayer that's recorded that everything that I've done, I didn't just do saying, okay, God, I'm just going to be faithful here and hope you answer. No, he said, I've done every, all of these things according to your word. So God had instructed him in everything that Elijah did there. He said, I did it. Just like you said, and then God answered by fire from heaven. And so this is the thing that God wants us to not feel like that you've got to do that to get his attention because he's there and he hears you. You don't have to be that way. Meaning, now, he doesn't say you can't repeat something. It's meaningless or empty repetition, right? Right? That is engaging your mouth without engaging your brain. And sometimes we do that. I mean, you know, and, you know, you may have your go-to phrases and stuff. That's okay. That's okay. But, you know, sometimes we just get so shallow. We've got the same memorized prayer. We just say it over and over and over again. Just same thing, same thing, same thing. Um, you know, it's, like I said, it's okay to kind of have your, 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 your go-to stuff. But, I mean, I wonder sometimes if we just pray the same. When we do pray, we say the same thing. I wonder if the angels are like, oh, boy. <laughs> Here it is again. <laughs> you know, come on. Uh, or you could just write it down, you know, and just like every time, here it is, Lord, read it. You know, he wants to have something active with you, you know, to have that conversation where God is speaking to us. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us primarily through his word, aided by his spirit who authored the word. Through his spirit, through his word, we speak to him through prayer. So there's actually conversation going on. And you know, a big part of my even studying to prepare to teach and to preach comes with praying through this, praying through the scripture and letting God speak to me and me speaking to God and, and God directing my thoughts from scripture to scripture, helping me to determine if what I'm asking him is according to his word, his will. And there's times that I go to God and there's times that I'm praying and seeking something in the process of really getting personal with God. God in the scripture and in prayer and in yielding myself to him, he actually will sometimes show me that what I'm praying for is not his will and what I should pray for. How to pray in the will of God. I mean, I didn't know before, so, you know, I ask. But in the process of not just asking, but seeking him, he begins to reveal to me truths that show me that my asking may be amiss. And help fine tune. There's so much happens during this time of entering into that private time of prayer and being and not being like the heathens, not being like the hypocrites. So Jesus says, but when you pray, when you pray, pray this way. Verse 9, pray then in this manner. Pray like this. All right. So we're just going to touch on this. Pray like this, this way. All right. And as I said, the prayer here is not. The Lord's Prayer, it's a model, it's a pattern for us to pray. It's an outline for prayer that's so helpful for us if you want to use it this way. Because what you can do is you can just fill in 
you can just fill in the outline if you want to. Now, you don't have to, like, boy, if I don't just follow this pattern, then he's, no, no, no. This is just something to help you. All right? This is something to help you. Uh, so he says, this, this, is, uh, oh, this, this is something that you can put some meat on. So we're just going to cover a little bit of it. So I want you to see how he teaches us to direct us in focus of prayer first. Now, as I said, this Lord's Prayer, it's okay to quote it. It's okay to recite it. That's, that's okay. But don't let it just be empty words. Even this scripture can become empty words when you don't think about it. You just say it and think you've really done something. I mean, a lot of times, you know, for the football game, for the basketball game, we just say the Lord's Prayer together. That's okay. But it, it doesn't need to be your lucky rabbit's foot. Right? That's what you turn it into. Um, this prayer, as I said, is divided in two halves. First has to do with God, and the second has to do with us in view of our relationship with God. Notice that the prayer does not start out with you in focus. It starts with God in its focus. A lot of times that's not how we do it. <laughs> and you know what? It's okay to have those occasional prayers that I start off a prayer like, Help me, Lord. Help me. <laughs> right? He understands that. But is that all you ever do is when you need to pull the ripcord, the parachute of prayer? It starts focused on Him. Uh, and, and so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about us and everything that's going on. Me, 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 me. You know, you have that friend that, you know, only wants to talk about themselves and all their problems. And as soon as you say, well, you know, I kind of have a struggle. They don't want to hear yours. Right? You know, it's like, I'm going to tell God all this stuff and God starts trying to impress me to get in his word. I don't want to hear that, Lord. I just want to talk about how, how you know, terrible things are and how unfair you've let life be to me. Um, so this is a pattern that starts off with God, as I said, not because he's helpful, but because he's beautiful. Amen. Sink in. This is why I say a lot of times I may find myself asking for things that are contrary to the will of God. There's been times I've asked God to bless things that he never intends to bless because I'm not in the right position of prayer and letting him teach me and guide me in it. But when you have him first and I have myself in the right position, then I've postured my prayer in a better way. These are the precautions that he gives us and gives us this outline. So the prayer starts with this, the person, our Father, our Father, the person of prayer. This is who we're focused on. The focus is on our heavenly Father. And I like the way this starts out because Jesus told us to say our Father. Right there reminds us we're part of a family. Because he's not just my father, he's our father. Jesus didn't say, pray this way, my father. He said, no, our father. Now, many times Jesus said, my father. But the heavenly father was his father in a way that he's not my father. Father, son, Holy Spirit are one. Amen. But he taught us to do this so we get that, we get that idea right from the beginning. That we're part of a family. Our father. Do you recognize him as your father? Do you belong to him? He's not going to force you because he wants a love relationship with you. That's why he planted that tree in the Garden of Eden that gave the choice because love demands a choice. God couldn't program us to love him or to do what he wants us to do like he did animals. 
He wants a love relationship, knowing all along that we would violate that and decide not to love him and want to be God ourselves. And because of that, it would bring the curse of sin upon us and upon this planet. In fact, the planets, the heavens and the earth, the whole universe is a curse of God. Things deteriorate here, you know, you've noticed. Amen. And, and, and because of that, God already had a plan of redemption in place. Jesus, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, that God was going to give what he required, his perfection through Christ, that through faith in him, that we can become redeemed, reconciled to a perfect God. This is the gospel. This is the kingdom of God stuff. And this is what enables us to call upon him as our father. Because I was separated from him because of my sin. And when I can call upon him as my father, and he's our father together, I'm recognizing the fact that it cost him a lot for me to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. It cost him a lot. Do you have that? Do you need to come to him as your father today by praying the sinner's prayer and receiving Christ by faith as Lord and Savior? That's what you need to do so you can call upon our father. But he's our father in heaven. Now, it's important to understand that he's in heaven. (laughs) He's in heaven. He's not limited with the limitations that you and I know on planet Earth. Isn't it good to know that when this world is falling apart and your world is falling apart, that you have a father in heaven who is not part of this falling, falling apart world? Amen. You may be limited by what's going on here in your circumstances, but your father is not limited. He supersedes and superintends circumstances. It's good to know that not only do we have a power in heaven, but the power in heaven that we have is our father. Amen. Amen. And then he says, hallowed, or if you're using kind of an older English way of saying it, hallowed be thy name. You know, and I memorized this in the old King James, so a lot of times I will say it that way. But it's hallowed. What does that mean? The word hallowed literally means to be set apart or to be made holy, to be separate, to be sanctified. God is special. And what he's saying here is is when you come to uh, uh, talking about your father, That you realize he is separate. He is above. He is special. He is holy. He is awesome. That's what hallowed means. His name is hallowed. When you dedicate something to God, especially in the Old Testament, you hallowed it. God is to be hallowed because, listen, folks, there is nothing else on planet Earth or in the universe like him. He's special. He's in a class by himself. And if you want to be effective in prayer, you need to hallow his name. You you know, we can come to him as a friend through Jesus. We have boldness and access through the blood of Christ, but we don't treat God just like he's one of the boys. He is our father who is to be hallowed. We bow before him. And I want to kind of wrap up on this. Hallowed be thy name. His name is hallowed. We make a big deal about the name, do we not? We want to lift up his name. We praise his name. What's the big deal about this? You need to know the name. You need to hallow his name. Because in Bible days, different than our days, now we have names that are just for identification purposes. But in Bible days, your name told who you were. And that's that way with God even. His name describes who he is and about his character. So you saw that in the Bible, if you've studied it, where you see where God changed Abram's name to Abraham to tell something different about him. Jacob to Israel and different, you know, hey, Simon to Peter, Petros, the rock, 
Eat your heart out, Dwayne Johnson, the original rock, Simon. Amen? <laughs> so that's what we're talking about here. So the name is, is, is something that tells a little bit about who someone is and their character. Um, it's kind of like the nicknames are for us. Sometimes people's nicknames tell more about who they are than their actual name. I don't know. In the Ozarks, you know, if you grew up around here and you're the only one in your family that's got red hair, like really red hair, there's like, what, a 99% chance your nickname is going to be what? <laughs> yeah, red, red. Or if everybody else in your family's tall and you're not so tall, there's a good chance your nickname's going to be Shorty. That's right, right. However, there are sometimes some flip-flops on that. Sometimes if you're the one in your family that's like twice the size and twice as big as everyone else, you might get the nickname Tiny, yeah, <laughs> that kind of happens sometimes. So sometimes our nicknames say more about kind of like, uh, you know, this kind of thing than what actual names in our culture. But here's the deal. Since God is so great that he's indescribable, he's called by many names in the Bible to help us understand. And, the, and these uses of different names help us to understand a little bit more, a little bit more about him. And as we call upon his name, we get into scripture and in Genesis 1.1, we find that in the beginning, who? God. In the beginning, God. And the, Greek, and the Hebrew word is Elohim. And yes, it is plural, but yes, it's used in a singular fashion. It's true that many of the pagan nations worship many gods, and they would use this referring to their many gods, but the Hebrews use it to refer to our God is one, one God, but yet it was plural. And we understand that because he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one divine essence, three divine persons. Wow, he's awesome and mysterious. But that's his name. Elohim means the creator God. When God created everything out of nothing. Amen. Are you with me on this? Quicker you stay with me, the quicker we get done. So when you have no way out, you don't know what you're going to do. It's a good thing to know that you can call upon Elohim. He's the one who can make something out of nothing. Creator God. You can also, another word that's used for God that's translated in the Hebrew is Adonai. Or Adonai. And that literally means Lord or the one who is in power, the Lord uh, in charge. This means, listen, all that's going on in this world, all the crooked politicians and people in power, your boss is not the one who has the final say. It is Adonai that when you're praying, you're talking to the one who is going to have the final say, the final judgment, the one who is really in charge. I can call upon Adonai. And then I can also call upon his name. In Genesis chapter 14, as Abraham met this priest king named Melchizedek, he was called the priest of God Most High, El Elyon. Now, El is short for Elohim, but Elyon means Most High. And he called him God Most High. This means when everything's out of control and out of your hands, it's still in his hands because he is El Elyon. He is God Most High. Amen. When you call upon his name, are you hallowing his name? And not only that, but as we turn on over to Genesis 17, we see God addressing Abraham in this way. He says, I am God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it says, I am El Shaddai. It's good to know when you need to call upon his name that he's El Shaddai, because that means God Almighty. He said, when Abraham was 99 years old, he appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk, blameless, walk before me and be blameless. El Shaddai. He has the final authority. He's God Almighty. Even when Hagar was, was struggling and wondering 
what was going to happen to her and she had been forgotten. God intervened and spoke to her. And she said, I realize now that you see me. You're the God who sees. She called upon him. She says in Genesis 16, 13, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees, which is El Raha. That's who you are. Aren't you glad that he's a God who sees? He sees how people treat you. But he sees you. He hasn't forgotten you. Amen. You ever feel like God has forgotten you? He's El Raha. He sees you. He wants you to know that. And then later on in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, Abraham, he planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He called upon the name of the Lord, El Olam. That means everlasting God. That he is not touched by time. He is God everlasting. When you don't know how you're going to make it through another tomorrow, you don't know how you're going to deal with tomorrow, it's good to know that you can call on El Olam because he's already in tomorrow waiting on you. And he's right here where you are. And he's the God who covers your past, past, present, and future. He's the great I am. He already holds tomorrow in his hands. And then you have the covenant name of God that we get to in Scripture. And I'm just going to run through these, and we're going to have put the pause button and pick up next week, Lord willing. Amen? Because I'm getting to his person. We need to focus on his person. Next week, we'll get to his program and his provision and his pardon and his protection. Okay? Maybe it take two weeks. Who knows? Let's go. Jehovah. We don't really know if that's the way it should be pronounced. Some say Yahweh. And we find this in God's personal name. Because in the Hebrew, it wasn't written out. It was abbreviated. It would transliterate into English as Y-H-W-H. And so what we do is we take the verbs from Adonijah and insert them in there and get Jehovah or to other verbs and get Yahweh. We don't really know. So when someone says, you have to say Yahweh or you have to say Jehovah. No, you don't. Because we don't really know how it was said. It was so holy that the scribes abbreviated. You need to know this. In the Old Testament, the scribes whose call and ministry was to copy down the scripture on the scrolls. This name was so holy that once a pen wrote this name, it could never write anything else. It would be set aside. That it could only write that name. That name was so holy, they would not even try to utter anything like it. But he says, you can come to me. I'm your personal God. This comes from when God spoke to Moses and Moses said, what's your name? What shall I tell him? He said, I am. I am, and I've always been, and I always will be. It has to do with the state of being. This is God's covenant name. This is God's personal name. He loves it for you to know him personally. So you can call on our Father, and as you hallow his name, you know that he wants a personal relationship with you. And that's what this is. He'll never, and he says covenant name, he'll never break his promise with you. That's what he wants you to know. And let me just, let me just give you a few compound names that are, that are combined with this. All right? So I want you to know as we call upon his name who you're calling upon. Because in Psalm 23, verse 1, he is called the Lord our shepherd. That is Jehovah Rohi. That's what that says. The Lord, our shepherd. Aren't you glad that you can know that when you don't know which way to go or which way to turn, that you have a Lord who is your shepherd guiding you? 
that you call upon His name. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. In Amos 4.13, He refers to Him as Jehovah Sabaoth. That is Lord of hosts. That is, that you call upon God who has a host of angel army at His disposal all the time. That He's not only everywhere and in everything, but He has a host of angel army surrounding you. He's the Lord of hosts. Somebody ought to say amen. When you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, when you don't know where your next meal's coming from, when you don't know how you're going to clothe the kids, when you don't know how you're going to make it, I want to tell you, he's got a name for that as well. When Abraham was said to take, told to take his son up the mountain and do something that seemed unthinkable to offering back to God, he knew that the promise of someone who was going to come and be a blessing to all nations was through Isaac. And God shows us later in Hebrews that he had told the people. Well, we see in Genesis, he told them that we will go worship. We will come back. Hebrews tells us that he knew that even if he went through this, God would raise him up because the promise was through Isaac. And he's called that time and that place. He called upon God. He called him Jehovah Jireh, which means God will provide. And that's what he told him. Dad, where's the, there's a fire. There's the wood. Where's the sacrifice? Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Aren't you glad when you're in need and you know how you're going to make it that you can call upon Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In Exodus 15, 26, they come to the waters that was so poisonous they couldn't drink it. But God healed the waters. And God said, if you'll follow me and obey me, I'm not going to do on you the diseases that I put on the Egyptians. And he called himself, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. When the doctors don't know what to do. When the tests don't know what is wrong. You're not at the end of your rope. You could call on Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals you. When you have to go in for some kind of treatment or something, you're not trusting in that. You might use that, but you're trusting in Jehovah Rapha. You call upon his name. Do you know his name? We could keep going, but we'll finish with Jehovah Shammah. Ezekiel 48, 35. He's talking about this new city. Is this the millennial kingdom? Is this the new heavens and the new, the new earth and the new city, the new Jerusalem? Well, it's pretty deep. But he says, there he'll be called Jehovah Shammah. That is the Lord who is here. The Lord who is near. And he wants you to know that he's here right now. When you feel like you're all alone, you feel like there's no one left to help you, you can call upon Jehovah Shammah. He is near. He is here. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Listen to me, folks. Hallowed be his name, but you need to know his name. If the only name that you know is God, then you don't know all God can do. So here we go. We barely said, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And right now we are filled with so much incredibleness. And power and beauty. I just want to stop.